This is Channel 253. Citizen Tacoma podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Jenny Jacobs and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. I'm Jenny. I'm Doug. And we are the Citizen Tacoma podcast, empowering an informed electorate. I thought we were informing an empowered electorate. In in the the city city of destiny. Hi, Jenny. Today on Citizen Tacoma, we interviewed Lori Jenkins, who is a member of the Washington House of Representatives from the 27th District. She's friendly. She's personable. She's informed. We like her. We do like her. She even has a really nice speaking voice, I think. Don't you? Yeah. I just want to everybody curl up with a nice mug of something. She's speaking very nicely with that voice when she was encouraging you to run for office. Oh, my goodness. Anyways, please listen in. It's a great interview. Welcome, Lori Jenkins, to Citizen Tacoma. Thanks for having me. We're so happy to have you here. I think you are like the biggest star we've had on our program. <laughs> you say that to everybody. <laughs> no, I'm I, sure. don't. I don't. I <laughs> don't. I'm not very, sure to say excited. whether I'm not sure whether to say to you congratulations no. or that's sad. <laughs> <laughs> I even wore my my political pantsuit for the occasion. You do so. look very much like you're okay. running for office. <laughs> Maybe someday. Hmm. Good. Um, <laughs> so we start all of these interviews with your Tacoma story. Hmm. So when did you come to Tacoma? Where do you live? All of that kind of stuff. Uh, I moved to Tacoma in 1987 to go to law school at Mm. what was then the University of Puget Sound School of Law. Mm -hmm. And um, the way I chose it, I grew up in rural southwestern Wisconsin, and I Mm. went to the University of Wisconsin at Madison. And uh, I got my bachelor's degree in three and a half years and thought that I wanted to go to law school and didn't realize that law schools only admitted you in the fall. Hmm. So I decided to go ahead and get a master's degree to get me on schedule. (laughs) Overachiever Um, from uh, the beginning. (laughs) So I got my bachelor's and master's there. And I went to this, um, this law school caravan where different law schools came around and I met the woman who was the admissions director for the University of Puget Sound, and I really liked her. And I hadn't traveled any, I don't even think I'd been to Chicago at that point in my life. And I asked a friend of mine who I thought was very well-traveled, hey, if you could live anywhere in the United States, where would you live? And she said, the Puget Sound. And I said, where is that? What is that? (laughs) And she explained. And so I applied to uh, law schools in Oregon and Washington and had really liked UPS. So I moved out to Tacoma without knowing a soul. Um, and drove cross-country with my two little sisters, which was quite a trip. They were both in high school. Um, And I've lived within three miles of where the law school was uh, for my entire, the rest of my adult life. That's so nice. What was your path to getting involved in politics in Washington? Um, LGBTQ rights, basically. Mm. I, I, um, in the late 80s, after I'd Uh, graduated from law school. I guess I graduated in 1990. The city of Tacoma had uh, a couple of gay rights ballot initiatives, and I worked on those campaigns. Um, And uh, and that kind of got me into getting involved statewide in LGBT Mm. politics. And so I learned a lot doing statewide organizing. And 
so and so that's that's yeah. really where I cut my political teeth. And uh, I tell people a lot. People will frequently talk to me about they don't know if they can run for office because they're worried that they have they're thin skinned and <laughs> and and I. I tell people the story that I so I used to speak a lot at different events and really up until the late 90s every time I spoke about LGBTQ rights somebody in the audience would stand up with a bible and yell at me that I was going to hell and huh. so I t I tell people that when I started running for office as long as no one stood up with a bible and yelled at me that I was going to hell I thought I was <laughs> having success it. yeah yeah <laughs> so um so it trained me well and and uh and gave me thick skin and it taught me a lot about messaging and a lot yeah. about connecting with people and a lot about um, the continuum of a movement. And yeah. it was a great, it was a great way to, to learn. And, and I was in love with the issue. Yeah. And that helped too. Did you hold other offices before your current office? I would, you know, I was, uh, I was president of my high school class. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and I ended up being president of my of the law school student bar hmm. association when I was in law school. And then I didn't I didn't run uh, at all and didn't really think of running really till almost I I thought about running for the house and mm -hmm. I decided within a three week period. Hmm. Um, so I did a lot of political things and I yeah. did a lot of civic things before that, but I'd, I'd been asked a number of times and had really like a somewhat like a typical woman had rejected the idea of doing it. Right. What is your role at the health department right now? So my title is director of organizational initiatives. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of what I do is kind of take um, new ideas that people have and try and help grow them and try and connect people to uh, community, others in the community who might be uh, wanting to do that. I did a lot of work um, last interim around creating the Accountable Community of Health here in mm. uh, Pierce County, which has now grown and is its own independent mm. nonprofit, which our health department is very known for kind of taking good ideas, growing them, and letting them then move on and out of the department. Mm. So that's a lot of what I do. I do, I honestly, it's a lot of special projects yeah. uh, and things like that. Right now, we have a lot of uh, work that we're doing that's pretty clear that it's marketable, that other people might like to buy it. And so we're, we're working on, you know, whether or not we ought to um, start doing some revenue generation with some of mm. the particular skills we have and folks who want to buy our, our ep you know, we have a lot of epidemiologists and folks who want to use their skills yeah. and um, and we don't have enough capacity to do everything people ask us to do. So maybe we ought to start consulting so that we could actually bring more capacity in, hmm. you know. So anyway, Inspiring. lots of great, lots of great things. What would you say is the status of public health in Pierce County right now? What what issues deserve more attention, would you say? Um. There's hardly a public health issue that doesn't deserve more attention. Right. So our immunization rates, which, you know, immunizing, immunized children and adults, but immunizations have saved more people's mm. lives in the world than any other single right. medical advance, uh, maybe other than clean water. Yeah. So those are both fundamental public health issues. But Washington State has long had a pretty... Uh, uh, 
not as high of an immunization rate as we should have. And t- mm. that's reflected in Tacoma and Pierce County too. So everything from the kind of standard public health stuff to uh, we're really doing a lot of work on what we call the social determinants of health and this recognition that people's health is defined by a lot of things frequently that are completely outside of their um, of what they do. It has to do with where they live, what hmm. the environment is like where they live. Do they have safe transportation? What what's going on with crime in the community? Can they exercise? You know, are there uh, sidewalks yeah. and things like that? Um, uh, you know, what is the air like that they're breathing? And mm. um, so we're starting to do a lot more work around strengthening communities and community resiliency. And it's kind of interesting because some of the new research that's coming out is showing that if you make a community stronger and more resilient and more able to ask for and get what the community needs – you also make individuals stronger, and we can have an impact on uh, opioids and people who mm. uh, start start using either prescription drugs or heroin or some other opioid and people's ability to resist that. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of community um, resiliency has impacts far beyond what you might think. Mm. Um they do. And I mean, this is fundamentally public health is about community organizing. Right. Uh, and it was, I was just, just came from a meeting in which um, I love this definition of public health, which is to take things that were once considered completely acceptable and unchangeable and making them into things that must be changed hmm. and are changed and are completely unacceptable. <laughs> and I think about smoking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we talked a little bit we before the interview started. <laughs> um, and smoking is exactly one yeah. of those examples. Yeah. It's amazing how just public perception of smoking has changed so rapidly, really. Yeah. I mean, we, so we have a son who's 17 and um, I'll never forget my, as I said, I grew up in southwestern Wisconsin and the state didn't ban indoor smoking until a long time after Washington did. And so Wolf was about seven or eight, and we went back to visit my parents, and we decided to go out to dinner at a local bar. And and we walked into the bar, and I didn't think about this, and Wolf, like, shouted at the top of his lungs, <laughs> Mom, there are people smoking in here! <laughs> and like, my parents were like, oh, um, okay, we'll, we'll go outside, it'll be... Fine and uh, right, but he just yeah, he had never seen that before and yeah. thought it was outrageous. Um, <laughs> so and that's kind of cool to have a kid who's you know yeah. seventeen now never having experienced indoor smoking. Huh. Doug, are you speaking? Well, I just remember I was uh, a couple of years ago. I was at, more than a couple of years ago. I was in Portland and was in a bar, and uh, people were smoking inside. And it had been a while since I'd been in a bar with people smoking, and it was mm-hmm. sh- sort of shocking. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. was really disturbing. You know, yeah, my clothes, my you know everything. I can't believe people used to be able to smoke on airplanes. Yeah, yeah on airplanes. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! As if flying isn't miserable enough. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Yeah, sometimes those no smoking oh. lights actually went out. Oh my God. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> well, I would. It is funny, though. Uh, so this story about Wisconsin, it, we haven't come everywhere we need to come. In my home state, uh, if you're the parent of a child, you can take your child to the bar and you can buy them a drink at any age. 
<laughs> it's up to the bartenders. Wow. It's up to the bartender's discretion if they want to serve it, but you could theoretically buy your three-year-old a gin and tonic. <laughs> uh, if um, so, anyway, there's 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 you know more to be done. <laughs> it's pretty Public refined taste issues. for a three-year-old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, moving on. Um, I was hoping that you could help educate us a bit on what it means now that we have a Democratic majority in the state Senate. Well, we're about to find out. <laughs> I uh, just I, I just wonder as far as like expectations, like yeah. when you have a majority, it doesn't necessarily mean everything's going to sail through, right. I imagine. So how is that going to play yeah. out, do you think? Well, so I think um, so keep in mind, we're going to have a one vote majority in the Senate and we have a one vote majority in the House. Yeah, that's not enough room to for probably for a lot of transformational change. And it's going to require real discipline, I think, mm. by we Democrats uh, on what things we want to acop- accomplish. I mean, my hope is that we'll very early on pass the Voting Rights Act, mm. um, the the Equal Pay Act for women, mm-hmm. um, and do a number of, of things like that. But we're we're not going to be able to do everything that everyone wants yeah. us to do or even that I want to do. I think the biggest differences that people frequently don't think about is it's now a Democrat that's going to chair every single committee in the Senate, just like – so whatever party's in control, that party chairs committees yeah. uh, and has majorities on committees. The The Senate Republicans did an excellent job of kind of creating their story by the bills that they would hear, mm-hmm. the bills that they would reject, the ways in which they scheduled hearings. Um, and now we're going to be able to have much more of a democratic dialogue about things that are important to us. Mm. So, for you know, for example, one of the areas that I think will still be very difficult for us and is going to require bipartisan – um, support is to do work on gun violence. Yeah, but I expect that Jamie Peterson, who's the chair of the committee that will hear that hears gun violence bills in the Senate now, he will have more hearings on them. I was the only one who was able to have any hearings when mm-hmm. the Republicans were in control of the Senate, and so creating more more dialogue about that, which will hopefully help over time move members mm-hmm. and move the public, um, is. I, I think that's a pretty good yeah. thing. That's significant. You're chair of the Judiciary Committee, yep. yes. Yep. What is that? And tell us tell us what you do there. Um, <laughs> I, it's funny. I, um, Governor Gregoire frequently introduced me uh, or when we when we were going to have introductions and I, I worked in her administration as wreaking havoc wherever I go. So Lori Jenkins wreaking havoc wherever she goes, which I always <laughs> consider a compliment. That's a great tagline. Um, but that's not what the Judiciary Committee does. We try mm. not to wreak havoc wherever we go. It's probably the most uh, – the committee is probably has the broadest spectrum of topics in it of any committee in the legislature. Mm. We also have the highest volume of bills that come through yeah. um, the Judiciary Committee. So everything from landlord-tenant law – to family law, to mental health issues, to gun violence, uh, the death penalty uh, issues will be in my committee, uh, dom- domestic violence issues, it's really technical business kinds of mm-hmm. laws relating to the way businesses are structured and how they can be taken over and all kinds of stuff. Guardianship and elder abuse issues mm. are in the committee. Um, and then any any 
legislation related to the court system. We also, any uh, county that wants to have additional superior court judges, we're, we have to approve them having hmm. additional superior court judges. So just a really wide spectrum. Like a and lot. I don't remember, but I, you know, we had... Um, we had well over 150 bills, I think, filed in the committee last year. There's no way yeah. I can hear all the bills that, that come. Oh, that's another topic, uh, animals, uh, <laughs> issues related to animal abuse, which are wow. honestly some of the most controversial bills we get. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. So. Hmm. How much time does being a committee chair take up in your day in your life as a legislator? <laughs> uh, so being a legislator is supposed to be a part-time job. <laughs> wow. Um, we're paid as part-time legislators. And it's kind of interesting because many people will send emails about you members of Congress, you make a hundred and some thousand dollars a year and you have a private, you have a car and you get health insurance. And that's not this, that's not the House <laughs> of Representatives or the state legislature. We do get health insurance through the state of Washington, but again, it's it's a part-time job, uh, and that's why I have this other job at the health department. Yeah. Um, but I, it's funny. I was just meeting with my legislative assistant, and we've started to get invitations to receptions that'll be held once session uh, starts. Mm -hmm. So every many many evenings there are receptions. And I told her, well, go ahead and put them in the calendar, and then I'll pretend that I'm going to go to them. But actually <laughs> what I do is stay in my office every night till about 10 o'clock before I drive home. Oh. Um, <laughs> so because uh, in addition for me, in addition to chairing the Judiciary Committee, I also serve on the second highest volume committee in the legislature, which is, which is the health care committee. Mm. And I serve on the third highest volume um, committee, which is the Appropriations Committee. So I, I through some... Uh, not great planning on my part and love of the wrong topics, I serve on the three highest volume committees wow. in the whole uh, legislature. So I end up staying late. Aren't I you drive on even home more committees night. than that? Yeah. So I also have these subcommittees. I serve on the um, uh, aging and disability committee. Mm. I serve on the health care oversight committee. <laughs> I serve this on the... This doesn't sound like yeah. part-time work. Yeah, Larry. it's not. It, it's not. It's, a, it's awesome work. I love it. Um, I complain about it every day, and I love it every day, and I'm lucky to have an employer at the health department who lets me take leave, a leave of absence when I'm um, working for the legislature uh, during session yeah. and also lets me take vacation leave or unpaid leave if I run out of vacation during during the interim so I can go to committee hearings. Or when it gets extended for yeah. months afterwards. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although I've been telling people, right, we had the longest legislative session in the history of Washington State this year, and I um, I go meet with our neighborhood councils, all of them, yeah. on the 27th uh, afterward, and I've been telling them, I can't defend that, I can't explain why. If I had been queen, it would have only lasted for a couple of days, maybe a week. <laughs> but, yeah. I'm, you know, that's part of the issue. You've got 98 members in the in the um, House and 49 members in the Senate, and you have to get, you have to put together packages on the budget and every other topic that the majority of members are going to vote for. And then the guy, the, currently the guy in the corner office, Governor Inslee, that he'll sign it too. Yeah. And so it takes a long time to put those things together. Kind of as amazing you ever finish on time. Yeah. Well, one th the other thing that's been an interesting lesson for me is um, how much time 
I spent fixing bills that I passed in prior years. And they might be other people's bills, but then you, when they start to be implemented, people come back and you realize, oops, this does not work like we thought it yeah. would. So there's, there are very few perfect bills yeah. that end up unamended ever. Um, and that was something, my, one, my goal when I came in was to never pass a bill or let a bill out of my committee that wasn't perfect. And I still have that as my goal. But what I've started to realize is sometimes you just don't <laughs> recognize the imperfections and they got to come back. Yeah, yeah, I bet. So what can a civically minded person have on their radar when it comes to issues coming up in 2018? Uh, well, I mentioned some of them. I, uh, I, I do think that the Voting Rights Act and mm. making sure that um, that everyone's vote counts. And, and this is um, for folk, for listeners who don't know much about the Voting Rights Act. Um, what we're seeing is in areas where you have a lot of at-large voting in local elections, even when we, you have a really high population of uh, minorities, people of color, frequently no one is elected to the city council that represents that diversity mm. because the the um, the large population spreads out the votes of those communities right. um, and we we've seen that in um, in some uh, some cities uh, Yakima being one of them mm. um, although thankfully you know they did some work on this voting rights issue and the the minute they did that, three Latino women were elected to that city council for the first time ever. Like, likewise, I think that um, uh, the city of Seattle is a great example. So the city of Seattle used to always have uh, at-large elections. The whole mm. city voted. And when you – they a couple of years ago changed to having – district elections and look at the number of women and people of color now who are serving on that city council. Yeah. Um, and that is because people can coalesce kind of around issues and around um, uh, candidates mm. and uh, will feel like they have are electing folks that better represent their issues. I've been really proud that the city of Tacoma a long time ago went to a combination of at-large yeah. and district positions. And if you look at our record in terms of the diversity of candidates that we elect uh, in Tacoma, we, we definitely still have work to do. But the diversity of candidates that we elect on our city council is much, much greater mm -hmm. than many, many other uh, cities. Yay, Tacoma. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So we are a blue state. We are a blue place. Um, is there anything that we can do to affect outcomes in other jurisdictions? Uh, well, one, I think if we adopt, um, it is, well, I'll just say, depending on how blue you are, yeah. that, that help that makes you see, I just had someone who sent me a note and said, we are actually a purple state. And I'm like, that must be because you are so bright and shiny blue, so far blue, 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 <laughs> to, <laughs> that you can't see that we're actually, we are a blue state. We're, yeah. not, we're not really purple. We're not really a swing state. No. Um, but I think one, if we create good policy. Hmm. So, you know, the Senate being taken over by the Democrats, there's, there was much talk about the Western Blue Wall mm. uh, of California, Oregon, and Washington now. And we ought to be really working together to create good policy on the West Coast that will be a shining light to the rest of the United States mm. to help people see what 
uh, what can be done yeah. and what uh, what can be done for the people. And I think that's one of the major transitions that we will see made with the election of a Democratic Senate is I expect that you're going to see people, the people of Washington being put first and not a bunch of uh, industries and stakeholders who earn a lot of money and throw a lot of money around. This is going to be about, this next session is going to be a lot about putting people first. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think us doing that can actually give hope to other parts of the country. I also think, I'm a, you know, um, I, I think marriage equality taught me so much hmm. about um, just continuing to have dialogue and having dialogue with people maybe that uh, disagree with you. Yeah. Uh, but one of our rules was we were working on marriage equality was that anyone who was doorbelling or phone banking on the topic, uh, we always said that your job isn't to convince them that they need to vote yes to retain the law. Your job is to try and bump them out of whatever stuck space they're in Hmm. and help them not be stuck anymore. And other people will talk to them and you're not the only one. And if you're the only one, then they'll never move. But, um, but if you're just one of many and you try and have an honest and sincere dialogue, then it's hard for somebody not to start thinking a little bit about what that dialogue meant to them. And so I, the reason I say that is because I think conversations that we can have with people all over the country Hmm. uh, uh, are really important. And a lot of us have friends and family members and former coworkers and colleagues. We're a very mobile society now. I have a sister who lives in New York, a sister who lives with her family in Nashville, a brother in Wisconsin, a brother in Boise with his family. Uh, and, you know, we talk a lot about a lot of issues, and I, my hope is that uh, it makes them think about yeah. things maybe a little differently. Certainly it has about LGBTQ rights. And some of the things that they talk to me about make me think about things a little bit differently too. Hmm. Um, so I think that kind of dialogue and openness is pretty important. Yeah. In this day of Facebook, I feel like we all could use some lessons on how to effectively communicate with people who don't agree with us. I'm a complete expert on that and do that really, really well. <laughs> as, as you can tell from the look on my face, that's not so much. You actually are very good at talking to crazy people. And I know this because I have attended neighborhood council meetings that you have been speaking at. Yeah. And I don't know how you do it. Yeah. You have, you're very good at listening when crazy people talk to you. Well, it's, I mean, I find, I think uh, it's funny. Um, my wife and I, uh, We'll we'll be celebrating our 29th anniversary. So this, uh, so I'm referring to a very long time ago. Um, but a former girlfriend once told me that the difference between she and I was that she thought that people were. I don't. I, I probably can I swear on this. Please do. She thought that people were <laughs> assholes, and I thought that they were interesting. <laughs> and, um, and I kind of I think that as time has gone by. Um, I've developed a little bit more of her thinking, but I generally yeah. still th- think that people are interesting, and I try to think they're interesting, uh, and I enjoy people. Yeah. Um, uh, but I think the other the other thing that's funny is I get feedback a lot from people that they think I am quite that I deal with things in a pretty calm way. Yeah. Um, 
And what I think is funny about that is that I am swearing in my head so much of the time <laughs> and yelling. And so I perceive myself as yelling a lot. And people will say to me, you were so calm. And, oh and, my gosh. and, and you, you, everything, you just really calmed it down. I'm like, wow, in my head, I was screaming and yelling. <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of glad that I, on some levels, I don't accurately perceive my own behavior. Not good all the time, but. Sometimes. I went to a neighborhood council, the neighborhood council itself shall remain nameless, a couple of years ago where you were talking, and I left that going, oh, man, I don't have it in me to run for office. <laughs> like, I don't know how she just sounded so calm and smart while some cuckoo person was trying to, like, you had just given a big speech about, like, legislative accomplishments, and, like, the very first person to stand up and, like, want to talk to you, wanted to talk to you about animals being left in cars. Yeah, well— yeah. Yep. And then like the next person would try to tell you about some law and you're like, well, I serve on that committee and I'm not familiar with that. And I was just like, <laughs> oh my God, I don't know how she does this. <laughs> well, but one of the things is it's, that's a rare, that's not, that, right? you only have to have a limited number yeah. of things like that. It's funny. I just, one of the things I'm doing this year is having what I'm calling office hours where I just go to a coffee shop and whoever comes I spend a few minutes talking to them about the issues that they're concerned about. Um, and that's been really good. I've done it in part because my calendar gets so full yeah. that when people think about wanting to talk to me and they call, my LA has to tell them, well, uh, she's all booked up until session starts. Then you can come to Olympia if you want to have 15 <laughs> minutes or wait till next interim. And that's a long time. Yeah. So I'm, I was just trying to create this space. So today I was down at Point Rustin and... Um, and had some great people come and just talk to me about what was going on with them and uh, what their hopes were. And that's very motivational. Yeah. And it's a great – it just makes me feel great to to hear what people are hoping for and then to be able to try and do something about it. Yeah. And it's worth being yelled at every once in a while <laughs> to, to get that, I think. How does one find your office hours? Um well, now you you friend me on Facebook because I put them out uh, in a – and I might have an, another electronic news. So sign up for my electronic newsletter because okay. I always publish them there. Is that on your website? And yes, you can do that from my website. They're on my legislative website. And if you friend me on Facebook, uh, I always say something um, about them the day before. Uh, the office hours. So. Well, you're going to get a flood of people now. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay because my LA has to manage things. She's the <laughs> one who has the hardest job. Um, less less friendly topic. Um, the Capitol has been in the news lately for a lot of the um, sexual assault allegations coming to bear. And I'm wondering what your impression of all of that is. It seems like um, it's an interesting environment because there's always power differential yep. involved and there's no, like, HR that's in charge of some of these people. So yep. what is your impression of what's yeah, going on? You know, um, well, one, I think it's both completely unacceptable and unfortunately not all that unusual. Of course. <laughs> um, in the entire world of, of and, work. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, one of the things that's been striking me a lot is that everything we do in Olympia is actually about power or yeah. almost everything we do. So, for example, 
uh, when I'm working on a bill in a particular area and there's some conflict about it, I use my power as a legislator to kind of force folks who are in conflict to move closer together, you know, and 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 to try to come to resolution on a bill. And that is considered a really good exercise of power. So exercising power isn't always bad. Mm. Um, and sometimes I'm exercising powers power in the in ways that they go back to their stakeholders and they say, dang her, she, we don't, we're going to have to do this because otherwise she's going to do this and then we're, it's not going to yeah. be okay. And right. So, so it's not like everybody comes to believe that your exercise of power was perfectly appropriate and yeah. great even, but when it comes to that exercise of power uh, in a sexual way, and really that's sexual harassment. I, th- I think of this as a continuum, um, Starting with sexism mm. uh, and, you know, sexist comments and sexist behavior that may not be targeted at an individual to then sexual harassment, uh, which is targeted at an individual and sexual assault and ending in rape. And mm. I think there's, they're on the same continuum and it's all a continuum of power. Yeah. And we in Olympia, uh, I think, have a lot of work to do to try and address uh, to address the issues. I. I saw a lot of what came out uh, early on in Olympia on Facebook, and um, the very next day after uh, I saw what some of the lobbyists had disclosed, I sent a letter to all my colleagues that was just titled, It's Time, and it was a one-word question, and I said to the women in in, uh, the legislature, I think that it's time for us to speak out uh, very uh, strongly about sexual harassment, and almost everybody said yes. And you know, so we we drafted a letter for uh, women to sign. I think about sixty of the women, and there's about seventy in the legislature. So mm. uh, the vast majority of legislators signed the letter. But now it's got over two hundred and twenty signatures of uh, uh, lobbyists, female mm. lobbyists, legislators, and a few staff people have also signed. Although I was. I pretty much wanted to make sure I didn't ask staff people because I thought if, yeah. if I was complaining about use of power, I shouldn't then ask staff use people your to power sign. to ask people to sign. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the letter was really a statement about what we need to, to do. Now the question is doing it. Yeah. And it's going to require policy changes. I mean, the legislature actually has policies around sexual harassment, but the fact that it's happening so pervasively tells me that our policies aren't working. So there's something that's a challenge with our policies, and there are also cultural problems that we have to address. Uh, And that's what I think our work is now, is to do, is to kind of meld policy work and cultural work so that this doesn't happen to any, I mean, I think our goal should be for it never to happen to anyone ever again. Yeah, it's society, right? Yeah. You got advice for me? <laughs> I don't. I don't. I think that it's been really interesting the more that have, that's come out because we can't, I mean, there's a lot of big Democrats that are also getting caught up and I think it's 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 society, right? Yep. It's a society of toxic max- masculinity yeah. and power being misused and it's it pains everyone. Yeah. It's not just yeah. People and I, you, might you know, think. and I think the I mean, one of the things I've been talking with my caucus m- mates about is 
that that we know the destination we want to get to, which is no sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. But I think this is as much a journey as it is a destination. And yeah. much like working on race issues, which we are still totally – I mean, we're much more willing to work on sexual harassment than we are to work on racial equity. Right. I, and when I say we, I mean the big we mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. Um, but – Part of doing that kind of work is creating environments where people can ask and answer really hard questions yeah. without feeling judged. And the, and also where we're spending um, – there certainly are times when people need to be called out for their behavior. Yeah. But if all we do is spend our time calling people out and we never call people in, in yeah. then we are never going to get to where we want to go on this stuff. And so my commitment is – a lot more about trying to call people in yeah. um, and having good men talk about, uh, you know, what they want to try and do and where they failed and where they haven't. And I think for me, I've had times where I feel complicit mm. having not said something that I realize now in retrospect I should have. Yeah. And rather than that making me be silent in the future because, oh, my gosh, I didn't handle something right in the past, what I should do is recognize that and use that to help me learn how to do a better job the next time. Yeah. Uh, And I think that's what we need more of. And we also need to call out people who are showing themselves to be not willing to learn, having done bad things and having really harmed mostly women in the process. Hmm. Looked like you were going to say something. Oh, I am. I'm just thinking of this in terms of you know, it reminds me of of, um, of white privilege. It's sort of as a man, your job is to check yourself. As a white person, your job is to check yourself. I yeah. mean, that, it's just that that's it's inherent. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's funny. It reminds me um, when I was early on doing uh, gay rights work. Uh, I did a lot of work with communities of color on on racial equity within the LGBTQ community. And I'll never forget that um, I have a really good friend uh, who um, would frequently call me uh, and other people out as being racist in our thinking. And what was one of the things that was interesting is uh, one of my good friends in that group who's now deceased, she's 20 years older than me. But when when she was called a racist, she her response, she she felt like, she was being called Bull Connor and that she was hosing people down. And mm. when and when when I was told that I was being racist in what I was doing, I would think to myself, yep, I grew up in a pretty racist society and I bet I am. Let's see, how do I figure out how to do this differently, right? I, I was, mm. I mean, it's not that I'm never defensive about my behavior with regard to race, but try working to get beyond that Mm-hmm. And and an acknowledgement for me that that's the culture that that I was raised in, and so my job is to try and figure out how to get beyond it. Yeah. Very different reaction than someone who'd grown up in a really different era, and the the even the use of the term meant mm-hmm. very different things to her. And I think we still see that kind of generational stuff, and we probably we see it on gender and sexism, yeah. and we see it on homophobia and and mm-hmm. and transphobia. Um, those things all exist in all generations, but they exist in different ways and for different reasons in different generations. Yeah. 
That reminds me of you saying calling people in instead of calling people out. I mean, there's definitely certain people that need to be called out. Yes. And, yeah, and, for sure. And I'm <laughs> I'm getting more and more just ready to do it. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. ready, ready yeah. with my responses. Yeah. But when someone's trying, if they're saying the wrong thing or using the wrong words, but they're trying to get to make progress and become more sensitive or aware or educated about an issue like that's when we it's important to, to be doing the calling in yeah and I think this is one of the things that I'm really struggling with on this issue because um Roy Moore for example yeah. um what one what he's accused of doing is really horrid and I think could have resulted in an arrest and a conviction so that's a little bit different, but but I've been I've been more thinking. Okay, so what if he was just sexually harassing women forty years ago? And what we, what we've seen is is no no real contemporary yeah um, uh, behaviors. And so I'm like, well, did he learn <laughs> and stop? And should yeah. should at what? And I'm not really trying to defend him because partly now he's attacking his accusers yeah, yeah. and all kinds of stuff like that, which is just completely unacceptable. But trying to think about so when when someone has harassed another person, really harmed them, but how how do they establish that they've rehabilitated themselves such that you say, okay, let's yeah. give you a chance? Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, I haven't had to deal exactly with allegations like that because most of the allegations I've seen in Olympia um, have been really ex both extreme and um, those accused have been incredibly defensive in ways, yeah. you know, threatening to have people fired and yeah. um, and stuff like that. Um, so just using their power in an even more, yeah. in at least as the same manner as the harassment was. But trying to figure out like, when is someone rehabilitated? When, when mm. have they changed their behavior? Yeah. That's a hard. I shouldn't have used Roy Moore as the really example. Think that a really good way to avoid this is to stop electing white men in their seventies. Yeah, <laughs> I think that if we look for more diversity of candidates, then we have a better chance of avoiding issues of harassment forty years ago. Yeah, just well, I mean, saying. I would. I mean, on the same like, so I just gave my little speech on how I'm trying to be kind of open and and you know really process through this stuff. But then sometimes, like we've had this whole thing in Olympia now where. Um, uh, I had a lobbyist come and meet with me, and he asked if I wanted to leave my office door open or closed, which has never been asked of me. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Open it or close it, whatever you want. I don't care. And he said, well, the, the Republican caucus, he reported, was being told to leave their door open all the time. And I just – I became a little unglued for a few minutes, and I, just, and I started to say, so that, you know what? The problem here is that women are being sexually harassed for the most part. And what's going to happen is we're going to have to deal with male fragility. Yeah. And, oh, the poor men are worried about whether or not they might be accused of sexual harassment. I guess my tone is not very inviting in. Yeah. But I'm like, you know, let I, I get that – I get that – men might worry about that. But the fundamental problem is that women actually are being sexually harassed. Right. And, uh, and if all of our attention has to turn to what about the poor man who really hasn't done it, but they're getting accused, and then all of our energy goes around protecting that mm -hmm. 
person, I'm I'm just it just makes me a little bit yeah as you can tell frustrated. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's try and address the sexual harassment issue. Let's do it in the context of recognizing that men are afraid about what may happen with them, but you know the best thing is to actually just not sexually harass someone yeah. and to That's ask a good plan. and to ask for permission um, if you want to hug someone or anything <laughs> like that. But as one of the things as legislators is to realize that we always have more power than the person we're asking, right? Uh, and so that potentially our ask doesn't mean anything. We should just maybe not do that yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know. Hmm. I have a lot more questions than I have answers about this. So I'm <laughs> I'm I, I'm I'm a little bit worried that this is all going to be part of a podcast because um, I'm just processing with you, yeah. right? All the different yeah. things that I'm thinking about how we how we handle this. Well, I appreciate you being willing to discuss this sensitive <laughs> topic. We're all learning the best way to navigate it in these trying times. I will move on. You are not up for re-election again until 2020, correct? Nope, 2018. 2018, yep. really? Yep. Oh, yep. We were, next year. <laughs> we were researching yep. before you got here. Yep. Every so two House members start, are every two oh, years. two years, right. Yep. So are you running again? Can I ask you I that? I am. Okay. I am. I, I'm sure someday I'll retire, <laughs> but I love this job so much I can't imagine when oh. I will do that. And I'm sure love that I it. will, and I, I'm hoping that when I retire, it will be done at a time where I retire before everybody around me whispers as I leave the room, she should retire. <laughs> um, so yeah. I hope that's not happening now. But anyway, I intend of to run again. Of course it isn't. So when do you have to start doing campaign stuff? Well, it depends on what kind of campaign stuff. I mean, we've... You might. I've, I've been fundraising already. Yeah. Um, and then during legislative session, you can't fundraise. And really, it's not a good time to do any anything. So I'm pro when session's over, yeah. I'll, um, I'll start again. And actually, now that you've asked me if I'm running again, <laughs> and I've said yes, I think I have to file something. I, I think now I have like a week to file the thing <laughs> that says I'm running. So you, need to get on. you sucker me into that. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm really glad that I was, I was here for breaking news. <laughs> We're ushering you into a new term. This is exciting. Know, it's very well, we'll exciting. see. I have to win. Well. Um, <laughs> You're not likely to have a challenger, though, I imagine. You know, I don't I don't know. I didn't I didn't two years ago. Um, we'll see. It's kind of funny because I philosophically believe it's wrong to not be challenged. I think every elected official should have to talk to the people who voted for them yeah. about why they're running again and what they've done and what they would do in the future. Um, so I philosophically believe that yeah. it was really nice <laughs> to not have an opponent. Yeah. Um, uh, last time, and I spend a lot of my energy helping other people. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so we'll we'll see. I don't really want to invite an opponent. Um, are you thinking of running against me? <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> what are you thinking of running for? Um, I don't know. I mean, part of this podcast is just me sort of interviewing all the different types of elected officials and sort yeah. of investigating and learning and trying to get smarter about things and hopefully bringing along Tacomans with me. Yeah. I and, hope that... And getting ready to run herself. Oh, that's right. I have small children right now. I don't think it's... Anyway, our son on, was, we're not talking our, about me. Our son was nine. <laughs> our son was nine when I ran. Uh, how old are your kids? Five and nine, but yeah. it'd be better if my youngest were nine, I yeah. think. Yeah. But... Um, 
and my uh, you're not really asking for my advice, but I'm going to give no, you some I want free. Your advice. I'm going to give you some free advice. <laughs> uh, one of the things about women is that we have a very perfectionistic standard for ourselves. Yeah. So we think that we should be able to answer every question and understand every issue fully before we run. Right. As a general rule, men do not hold themselves to that standard. And mm -hmm. when you get into to debates, you realize they haven't held the, themselves to that standard. And so I really. Um, I would really urge you to not hold yourself to a perfectionistic yeah. standard. What's most important is that you're curious and you want to learn. Yeah. And even if you don't know the answer to everything, I mean, during a campaign, people will, they'll want to try and make yeah. you know everything, but it's okay. It's okay if you don't. And as a general rule, people really respect you when you say, I don't, I don't know very much about that issue. Why don't you tell me about it? Yeah. Um, and, um, so I think that's that's one thing. As a women also need to be asked many many times before they run. On mm. average, a woman needs to be asked seven times yeah. uh, before she runs for office. So I don't know how many mm. times you've been asked, <laughs> but I'm asking you to consider it. Let's call this number one. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed how you you broke you you broke eye contact when I asked you. No, I, it's not. Jenny, yeah. will you please run? Oh, yeah. Jenny, will you please run? Stop, Jenny, will you stop, please stop, run? Stop, Jenny, will you stop, please stop. run? Uh, and then the other thing, though, that I would say is that a lot of women, just like you're thinking you want your kids to be older, which I totally yeah. get, um, uh, but we tend to run sometimes a little bit older because we – we're taking care of kids and we yeah. want our kids to be older before we do it. And there's a lot of validity to that. But I would just say there's some great awesomeness to having young kids and mm -hmm. running and what you can bring to the table. Yeah. Uh, when I was in the house with Jessen Farrell before she left to run for mayor of Seattle, right, she was the first person in 20 years who had – first woman who had had a baby wow. um, uh, while serving. And we just we even had to make new rules on the floor to allow a a baby or a child to be on the floor of the house wow. um, with us. And so, I mean, it required her to break a lot of new ground. Um, but the learning that happened to for other members and the way that she could speak about things, mm. and we've we've got other members with young kids. Um, that diversity is really so important. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a lot of work, but it's. It is worth – it's a very worthwhile thing. So what should I be doing in the meantime? What should I be learning about, pursuing, becoming involved in, et cetera? I, I believe really strongly that you should do things you love. <laughs> um, I mean, right, when I started working on LGBTQ rights, so that was the late 80s, the early 90s, that did not make you the most popular person in the world. Right. Nor did it – nor did anyone think it was the route – to become to an elected office, official yeah. or anything like that. But I was drawn to that work and I loved it. And it opened up so many doors for me, both learning about politics. But then when Gary Locke was elected governor, he wanted to appoint people that from more diverse backgrounds to boards and commissions. So I got a call and he appointed me to the Tacoma Community College Board of Trustees. I knew nothing about community colleges. Mm -hmm. I served on that board for 12 years and became a really true believer in our community college system and learned so much. And then because of my work there and 
and on the YWCA board, I got connected to the Tacoma Community House, which was mm. the oldest immigrant and refugee organization, yeah, yeah. right? So in the city. And so I think doing what you love, you love it so you are more committed to it and you do yeah. it better. And you gain a good reputation f- from that versus people who think, well, what? How should I resume build? Mm-hmm. I think you resume yeah. build by doing good work, right. and then the good work that you do, people will ask you to do more good work, and then your job becomes not overcommitting. Yeah. Um, but but just doing I don't know doing the things you love. I that's what I <laughs> that's what I've done. That's yeah. kind of what I still do, mm. and. It makes it for a much more fulfilling experience to for yeah. me in addition to, I think, me doing better work for people. Mm. So that's what I think you should do. What do you love? Well, I've been – I'm – Podcasting. <laughs> Podcasting. I feel like I've done more um, volunteering for environmental causes. Mm-hmm. But like you say, doing what you love, I'm not sure I'm – I'm fired up enough about that. I mean, mm-hmm. I love the environment, but like, <laughs> like it's not, I don't think I can sustain yeah. passion for that. So I feel like I need to decide on something and pursue yeah. it, like instead of kind of doing a little bit all over the place. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I really like, I think getting to the core of things, I mean, like on gay rights stuff, I think it's funny this was before cell phones and and even people used e- email very much. But like at one point, my wife had to create a rule that you may no longer accept phone calls after ten o'clock at night. <laughs> and um, right, and that that's how yeah. much I loved the work that I was yeah. doing. Is I would go to work all day. I would take noon hours to be calling people and doing things on pay phones, and then at night I'd be at meetings and calling people. And she's just like, "Listen, if you want our relationship to yeah. last, we actually need to have some time time together." And we had to create this this rule. Um, but I think about that in terms of how much I loved yeah. uh, what I was doing. And I was learning so much. I think that's the other thing is loving it and then really being challenged yeah. kind of by it to figure out um, how to solve problems. Yeah. Uh, you got to get in and over yeah. your head to learn anything, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then actually <laughs> listening to your kids. It was funny. My my son was the my best political advisor when I was running for office. Um, it was very funny when I was – when I – was first when I first decided to run I remember clearly he was in the back seat of the car and he said mom I I know the two issues that you should focus on when you run when you run I said what and he said first uh I think you should focus on health care because I see a lot of people in the world who are really worried and a pe- people on the sidewalk and I think they're worried about health care so mm-hmm. this was at the height of the recession in 2009 yeah. and before the uh, Obamacare yeah. had passed. And I'm like, well, that's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. And, and he said, and then the second thing is getting a new slide at Sherman Elementary, which is where <laughs> he was in school. No. So, um, so I actually did focus on one of those two. I did not get a new slide at oh, Sherman Elementary. Um, ask, but did you follow know, through on that I, campaign I, promise? So, you know, I very early on, I broke campaign promises. Oh, I, you know, did, but, but, but healthcare did, did happen. And he, anyway, he gave me lots of great 
nine-year-old advice about just how to focus on the right things. He did ask to be paid in Legos, hmm. which I told him was more expensive than paying him an hourly yeah, wage. Right. <laughs> um, so, but he got a lot of like, Legos the year I was running. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> a little Lego set to keep him yeah, busy while you had to be somewhere that's speaking. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm still worried about health care for what it's worth. Uh, yeah, well, I think I we know. we should be. And the, the prices going up, I think this year, this is one of the things I think we'll yeah. work we'll work on a lot in Olympia, Olympia this year is market stabilization. Uh, is that um, something that can be done on the state level? Yeah, there are things. So there's, uh, we're, we're probably looking at doing something called reinsurance, mm. um, uh, which is kind of insurers that that work with uh, with an another insurance company. In the event that the costs for a particular insured person goes over what they were planning for it mm. to go over, um, so um, so that's something that we'll likely work on. But one of the challenges is what's happening in D.C. Yeah. is making the market more and more unstable. I mean, businesses and insurance companies in particular like stability, right? And uh, their their insistence on repealing the uh, individual mandate. Mm-hmm. Um, would really, you know, Washington State uh, in the early 90s adopted um, a more universal care plan that didn't require everyone to have insurance. And it it lasted for a year because our insurance market went into what's called a death spiral. Yeah. Uh, and we had to repeal it. And that's essentially how they're trying to destroy uh, Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act now is by repealing the individual mandate and putting insurance in a death spiral so that much more of it has to be repealed. Uh, At least that's my take on what they're doing. Uh, The good thing about it is I just recently saw some polling and uh, their attacks on the Affordable Care Act have been the single thing that has made the Affordable Care Act uh, wildly popular now across the United States. Um, so, yeah. Um, and some states have been doing an expansion of Medicaid, right? Mm-hmm. Is that something that would ever come up in Washington, do you think? Oh, we, we expanded Medicaid at the very beginning of that option. So we have uh, over 700,000 people in this state who have insurance just because of Medicaid expansion. Mm. Uh, so we were one of the first, we were one of the early, early opters for that. Other states now that are doing yeah. a Medicaid expansion are doing it because they're worried that the federal government is going to move to block grants yeah. or or move to something else and kind of um, – they could repeal Medicaid expansion, but the idea would be if – I think generally people think if you've expanded Medicaid, whoever is on Medicaid, even if they repealed it, will not be removed from Medicaid. Mm. And so that's why you see states now, some unlikely states that are looking at doing it. This wasn't isn't one of the solutions, a democratic solution, making is making Medicaid available to anyone who wants to be on it. Uh, yes. Yeah, that that could be a solution. And so figuring out how well, one one of the challenges is in, in currently in D.C., there's just no route for that at all. But um, I think over time, figuring out what that model looks like and how much it would cost to do that. Mm. And then the other challenge like we have here in Washington State, we have a fairly efficient healthcare system. 
So our Medicaid and Medicare rates are quite a bit lower than other places. And, and uh, thinking about what having everyone on Medicaid with Medicaid rates does to the healthcare delivery, the provider system. Mm. It, so I'm, again, I'm not yeah. saying we shouldn't do it or we can't do it, but we have to think about uh, sometimes unintended consequences yeah. and then be prepared. You know, like, you know, I've always said about the Affordable Care Act, no one ever actually thought it was perfect yeah. and neither Medicaid nor Medicare were perfect um, and they still aren't now. And we are, we have constantly tweaked them over the years to improve them. And we would do the same thing for the Affordable Care Act if we had partners in D.C. that were actually interested in fixing and improving some of the problems as yeah. opposed to just ripping the whole thing down and taking literally millions and millions and millions and millions of Americans off of health insurance. Yeah. Um, and if... <laughs> That's not a solution. That's not an improvement. Uh, and we, so that's, I think, what we need to be more focused on. And what we're focused on here in Washington, I think we'd like some more price transparency around, uh, around uh, pharmaceuticals. Mm. And so I think we'll work on that this year. Uh, I'm actually working with the hospital association on a charity care bill to make sure that everyone who's eligible for charity care um, – May, they get it. Mm. Um, and I've been pretty pleased that the hospital association is actually willing to work with me on that because uh, it's something that, you know, they might not like generally. Mm. So so there's a lot of things that we can do and we won't make it perfect, but we can yeah. definitely keep on making it better. Hmm. Well, I could talk to you all night long, but we all have families to get to, I'm sure. So what? My son is back with my parents <laughs> for Thanksgiving. So, oh. uh, yeah. You're not going to spend Thanksgiving with him? No, actually, it's super sweet. Um, he, This will be the first time we haven't, but my mother collects um, this Christmas village made by Department oh, yeah, 56, yeah. and she she collects all these Dickens village mm -hmm. houses and figurines yep. and stuff. And um, so he has always wanted to go back and help his grandma set up the Christmas village. Aww. And he's, this is the first year that we realized enough in advance that he has a whole week off for Thanksgiving. He goes yeah. to the school of the arts. And, um, and so he, he said, I want to go back to grandma and grandpa's house and I want to help grandma set up her Christmas village. And he's 17. I just love it. I, I just love, love it and think it's so sweet. I hope he never hears the podcast, but, um, so he's back there Aww. and uh, we'll go to Portland and, uh, um, visit my my wife's sister and her husband and, and have nice. a family Thanksgiving. That's nice. Well, what should I have asked you? Is there anything that I, I didn't get to that you would like the most engaged citizens of Tacoma to hear about? Well, I mean, I, I just would like you to ask me more questions to help you to get ready to run for <laughs> office. Uh, whatever you... You should have asked me for a donation. Um, uh, yes. Well, <laughs> this whole interview is completely transformed into getting Jenny elected. I'm getting sweaty. <laughs> I don't. I don't think there's. Um, I've. I've talked. I've talked plenty, and um, I, I'm known for being quite a talker. Actually, I would tell you one other quick thing. My just... nickname in Olympia is Representative Hijinks. Oh. Because I'm quite known for my practical jokes. 
So well, anyway, some other time we'll have to talk about this, goodness. but I'll tell you a few stories of the practical jokes that I've... Hijinks, <sighs> hijinks wreaking havoc. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's me. So everybody should watch out. <laughs> It must be hard to find pranks these days that aren't going to get you in some kind of trouble. No, none of my pranks are related to that at all, at all. Um, and they, some of them do still get me in trouble, but not for that reason. Well, thank you so much for coming today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Citizen Tacoma podcast today. We are part of the Channel 253 network where you can also find the Move to Tacoma podcast as well as the Nerd Farmer podcast. And the Flounders B-Team podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us about anything you've heard on the show today or if you'd like to suggest a guest or a topic, maybe there's something you've been wondering about that maybe we can investigate for you, please contact me at jennyjacobs253 at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at Citizen Tacoma. Citizen Tacoma podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Jenny Jacobs and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.